I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. And folks, we're almost there. 2020 is almost over. We're recording this on Wednesday, so we have two days left. When it comes out on Thursday, it'll be New Year's Eve. And then some of you might even be listening in 2021. So for those of you that are, congratulations. Please write and let us know how it is. Hopefully better than 2020, at least. So, Megan. Do you have any New Year's resolutions for us? I mean, I think basically just trying to have a better year than this year, which shouldn't be too hard to do. But um, I think my main one is to work a little bit less. I worked way too much this year, so trying to do that. That's a good one. Work less, watch more basketball. Exactly. (laughs) Well, hopefully there's more basketball for us to watch than there was in 2020. Well, I guess there was a decent amount, but I was thinking like NCAA tournament-wise. Both sides, yeah, men's and exactly. women's. <laughs> yeah, that's so a good hopefully one. in March I'll be working less and watching actual NCAA tournament basketball. <laughs> yeah, Mar- the best time of year is just to be able to sit yourself on the couch and just watch basketball for like, I don't know how long the games go. Is it like 12 hours of games? It, whatever Amazing. that like incredible <laughs> first and second weekend of March Madness where there's just games on overlapping each other like every single hour. So you can just switch to whatever game is closest. It's wonderful. I, I missed that a lot last year. Also don't get that as much when I'm like, when we're working like women's basketball's NCAA tournament. Cause like, well, in the past we've been at Gamble for like four straight days doing that. This year will probably be different, but yeah, that's something good to look forward to. Uh, for me, I would like to have functional lungs in 2021. That would be a good start. So moving on to basketball. Since we last podcasted, we had one game UConn played DePaul last night, came away with a 75-52 to 52 win. Yep, I did that off the top of my head. You know, some days I, like, write the final score in my recap and then immediately forget it. I'm really bad <laughs> at writing final scores. It was UConn's lowest point total of the year, but also DePaul's lowest point total in four years. So I guess some nights are worse than others. And I, you know what I always find funny going into the DePaul game is that I mean, like, I'm guilty of this. I do it every year because it's an easy thing to write about. But, ooh, DePaul is going to give UConn a big test. They're really tough to prepare for. They're going to give UConn all they can handle. Really, last season nonwithstanding, UConn pretty much kicks the crap out of DePaul every single year, and it's never really that close. And even last year, it was a pretty wide margin at halftime, and then DePaul just started hitting threes in the second half to get close. But Every year when it comes around, I just kind of laugh because it's like, all right, here we go. We're all going to talk about how DePaul is going to give UConn a run for their money, and then UConn's probably going to win by 25. And lo and behold, that's what happened. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like it comes from the fact that the biggest thing with DePaul, in my opinion, at least, is, is as long as you control the pace of the game, you're probably going to be fine. And I think that's what traps a lot of teams when they play them, is they let DePaul play at their pace, and then running up the down the floor that quickly is going to trip up a lot of teams. But UConn never really lets that happen. They always make sure the game gets played at their pace, just like they did last night. So, once again, another big 20-point win over DePaul for UConn. Right, and it's also DePaul's pretty much going to live and die by the three-pointer. It's how they always play. It's how they've always played. And you saw it in the first quarter where UConn kind of went ahead, had trouble scoring, and then DePaul got four of their first five threes to fall, and suddenly they're right back and forth with UConn. And then I think they went one for their next 12, and UConn jumped out to a double-digit lead. If you remember that NCAA tournament game, uh, is it St. Francis? They basically... (laughs) took DePaul's office and then threw it on steroids where they took a three-pointer basically as quickly as they could when they got down to the end of the court. And then UConn had 97 points, I think it was, at halftime. It was one of the most unbelievable halftime scores I've ever seen. Just to get a little off topic, did you see – was it – what was the NBA game that had some ridiculous halftime score? Was it Mavericks-Clippers? I think so. I forget. I think it was. Was it the Clippers were down like 40 points at halftime or something like that? Yeah, I want to say it was like 62 to 22 or something like that. (laughs) I think the worst part about that is like everyone on Twitter was going crazy about it. And in my brain, I looked at it and I went, what's wrong with that? Because that's like (laughs) a normal UConn women's basketball game. That's like UConn's up 62-22 on, I don't know, Georgetown. Nobody bats an eye. Obviously, DePaul or the NBA is a completely different animal but just like my brain is so trained to see these giant basketball scores and think nothing of it but to get back to the DePaul game so yeah fewest points DePaul scored in 52 years and it feels like Gino's been criticizing his defense every single game basically and has been saying it's not good enough and I don't think UConn's defense has been phenomenal by any means the the results speak for themselves and I guess we'll get a better test with Baylor coming up in a couple weeks, but there's nothing that UConn's done on the court results and stats and production wise to say that they aren't a good defensive team. Yeah, I mean, I agree. To hold DePaul to 52 points is a pretty big deal. It's lowest point total for them this season. Like you said, lowest total since 2016. And that was, I think, another game against UConn in 2016 that they scored 45. And then they've only scored under 55, like twice in that kind of same span. So they're not a team that typically is held to 55 60 points in a game so for UConn to be able to do that this year I think speaks to how good the defense is I think they are I know obviously Gina likes to (laughs) say that they're the worst defensive team in the country that's clearly not true Um, I think the defense last night was pretty good I also feel like Kristen Williams kind of deserves a shout out for that because Sonia Morris probably DePaul's best player she went to high school and played with Nafisa Collier in high school I think led the team in three-point percentage and points per game. Paige indicated after the game that Kristen was the one guarding her, and she got held to two of 14 shooting and just eight points on the night. So I haven't rewatched the game to know if Kristen was on her the whole time or what specific things UConn was doing, but if that was her duty and she was just one-on-one with her pretty much the entire game, that's a really impressive job by Kristen, especially because she's never exactly been known for her defensive abilities. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you can also just held all of their kind of big players to pretty low numbers. The most points was 20 points from Rogers, who's a freshman. She hit a bunch of threes. I think those are kind of the shots that UConn was probably willing to take chances on because they hold all their upperclassmen to, I think, that was, yeah, Rogers was their only player in double figures. So really strong performance, I think, defensively. Right. And I mean, for DePaul, if someone takes 10 shots, they're kind of hoping they're going to hit more than four. So it's, you're going to, someone's going to have to score points for them. So you're going to want to make it one of their secondary players that you know, isn't going to kill you. So yeah, it was a really good job by UConn defensively. And also they completely crushed DePaul on the boards. It wasn't like DePaul was a really good rebounding team coming in or anything, but UConn didn't shoot well in that game. They shot 40%. That was their lowest percentage of the season by pretty much 14 points. And I think what makes it even worse is they had their most field goal attempts of the season in that game and yet made their fewest. So the offense was nowhere close to being on top of its game, but those offensive rebounds, they had 21. That was a season high led to 22 second chance points, which was the exact difference in the game. So I think we're starting to see a shift in this UConn team where I don't necessarily know if guards are going to carry this team as we've seen the past, I don't even know how many few seasons, at least since Brianna Stewart graduated. You did have Nafisa Collier, but she was really the only player down low. I feel like this team, yeah, you have Paige, and everything that she can do. But for the most part, this offense is running through Olivia Nelson and Dota. And then Aaliyah Edwards is arguably one of their most important players too. So I think we're seeing a very different team this year where it's going to be anchored by those two and down in the low post. And then it's going to be up to everyone else to contribute to those two. But I just think it's really interesting to see how this team is kind of evolving with the players that they have instead of just trying to continue doing what they've done for the last handful of years. Agreed. And I mean, I think part of that is that we haven't really seen a team that can really play against Olivia Nelson and Dota in the post yet. We'll see that in Baylor in a couple of weeks or a week, I guess now, but all of these teams, Olivia has been able to just kind of really do what she wants inside. And last night they were double or triple teaming, triple teaming her and she still pretty much could have her way in the paint. So I think that definitely pay, plays into it. But like you said, they were just phenomenal on the offensive glass last night, 45% of their own shots or own missed shots they rebounded. So that's a super high number. Obviously Olivia had a big hand in that, but shout out to Kristen there as well too, because she had five offensive rebounds in the game too. So really good job from her on the glass there. Right. I want to talk about both those juniors because I have different thoughts about both of them, but just to get to Nelson and Dota first, actually just, this is totally unrelated. I'm looking at the stat sheet now. Olivia Nelson and Dota was only plus seven when she was on the court. That doesn't seem right, especially considering Kristen Williams and Avina Westbrook and Aaliyah Edwards were plus 21. They must've messed something up. That There's no way that's right. Right. Yeah, that doesn't feel right to me unless maybe it's just like, I feel like there was a little stretch there where Paige hit a few threes and I wonder if Olivia just wasn't on the court when that happened. So maybe that's what the difference maker is on that stat. But I I feel like regardless of what that stat says, she was the best player on the floor last night, even though it was just 26 minutes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the important thing is, yeah, you mentioned they haven't played anyone that has really anything close to a big to be able to compare with her. I mean, it's like she's playing against children down in the post, really. But 
that was pretty much the case for her last year, aside from the Baylor game and the South Carolina game, maybe one or two other games and I'm not remembering. I don't think anyone else had the size to match up with her. And yet she wasn't putting up these type of performances on a nightly basis. She had some good stretches, but she has double figures in every single game this year. And obviously each one of those performances hasn't, hasn't been equal, but at the same time, she wasn't doing that last year. She had only four games in a row twice, I believe, where she scored double figures in every single one. And then she would always come back to earth with like a five or six point performance, sometimes no points in a game. So even though she hasn't had that true challenge yet, it's still definitely a really big step for her to be doing this on a consistent basis and to have UConn expecting her to do it on a consistent basis. That's another important thing where, yeah, she might be able to do things consistently. Like Aaliyah Edwards has double figures and, three of the five games she's played in this year. I don't think that means UConn's going to be relying on her for double figures in every single game, but they are relying on Nelson Adota. So I think it is impressive to see just how good she's been in every single game. And I think what was also really telling was that after the game, Gino said he didn't thought, think that she played super well in the first half. He thought she was kind of rushed and he's said a lot this year, how when Liv is playing relaxed and isn't rushing. That's when she's at her best. So he thought she was rushing in the first half, but she adjusted, made the changes that she needed to at halftime and then had a much better second half. And a big thing with her last year was that at the sign of any sort of adversity that she faced, she would crumble up until that Oregon game. And after that Oregon game, Oregon game, she turned it around. So I've, Honestly, I think Liv's been the most impressive player on the team from start to finish because for as good as Paige has been and for as high as her high points are, I think Liv is just much more steady and is a very, very reliable player, which I think if we were saying that we weren't totally sure what we were going to get out of Kristen every single game, but Liv was pretty close to a sure thing last season, I'm not sure how many people would have believed us if we said that, so... Her development is very, very promising to see, even though it is still pretty early in the season. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's just been five straight games of her being pretty much excellent every minute that she's been on the floor, which is really good to see. I think we saw it in flashes last year and you know, one or two games, but I don't really think until the end of last season she at all consistently was playing at this level. So I think she's definitely made a big jump, and it's pretty obvious on the court. I mean, just 26 minutes a game, she's averaging double figures. She's kind of taking control in the paint. I think last night, I mean, some of her stats last night were just insane. Every shot that she missed, she rebounded her own miss. She just really had her way inside. And I think most of those misses were in that first half where she was rushing a little bit. But even with the rushing, she was able to kind of pick it back up and finish it, even when she didn't finish it the first time. So um, just a really impressive game from her. I think the other thing that stuck out to me last night too is not only was obviously she was so good in the paint, but also just she knew when she had too many people on her and to pass it out too. When she was on the floor, she had assists on 25% of everyone else's baskets too. So just not just being strong inside, but knowing that she had three people on her and when to pass it out to teammate to get the assist as well. Right. And I think that makes you kind of much better offense because they can play through her down in the post. They can pretty much every single time they have the opportunity to get it to her and they know that it's probably going to be a good result. Cause like you said, every single time she shot the ball, 
it basically resulted in points, even if she didn't make the initial shot. And then if she knows that she's not going to be able to get a good shot up, then she can pass it out. And with the way that DePaul was double teaming her, there was always someone open on the perimeter and they didn't sink them, but UConn got a ton of open three pointers because of the way Nelson Adoto was passing the ball and finding those open players down low. So her passing ability, I think is something that hasn't necessarily been talked about much. I know we haven't looked at that aspect of her game a whole lot, but it's something that's really, really going to help this team, especially with how well, everyone else on the court, at least in that starting lineup can pass. When you look at Paige, Avina, Kristen, and Anna, all four of those players are really good passers. So when you add Livin, it's just exactly what UConn always wants out of his, its bigs. You look at some of the best players they've had from the post, Stephanie Dolson, Morgan Tuck, Nafisa Collier, just recently, all of those players have been good passers. And UConn is looking for those types of bigs. They even if like someone like Nelson Adota, who, yeah, she's shown that she can step out and take threes, but for the most part, she's pretty much a low post player. She can still impact the offense and help keep things moving. And that's probably another factor that led to UConn, maybe not necessarily being that great at moving the ball and getting stagnant last year. She wasn't as good of a passer last year to be able to kind of work through, work things through the low post. So it's a really good development from her. And the thing that just I keep coming back to with Liv is that she's a junior. And as Gino says, I feel like a million times this year, juniors at UConn are expected to be, if not the best players on the team, consistent players on the team. And she didn't have that great game against UMass Lowell. And I know we talked about that at length, but she's, improved every single game and maybe her numbers haven't been as great every single game like her best game of the season statistically is probably that 24 point game against Creighton but she only gets two rebounds in that game but then she kind of comes back and has 11 rebounds the next night for another double double the next game only has one offensive rebound last game has eight so you can really see that she's learning from her mistakes and she's utilizing what she's learning in these games and in the film to continue to continue improving as the season goes on. So we're still really early in this year, but I expect her, I guess we'll know more after the Baylor game, what level she really is at, but regardless, I still think she's going to get better as the season goes on, which is a really good thing for UConn and a really scary proposition and not to get too far ahead, but my God, I, can't imagine what she's going to be like as a senior. I mean, yeah, just looking at how good she's been these first five games, and she just keeps getting better. I mean, I think we've talked at length at this point about how good this team is going to be next year, but I think Liv being this good just adds a whole next year, extra layer to that. She can be that good in the post, one of, one of those strong summers that we haven't really seen in a while for UConn. It's, it's going to be a big asset for this team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting to kind of contrast her, as I said earlier with Kristen Williams, because I don't think Kristen's been bad this year at all. I think she's been a good player. She's helped this team win, but she just still feels like she's kind of underwhelming out on the court. Has There's never been a point where I've been watching her and gone, wow, she really is the best player out there. She's in total control of this game. She's the one that is going to just wreak havoc on defenses. I don't know if she's necessarily played at that level yet. And I'm starting to get a little, little worried that is she going to reach that level 
maybe just this year, because Nelson Adot has already shown that she can take over a game. Paige has shown that she can take over a game. I want to see that from Kristen, have her just explode and be the go-to player in a game and really rack up the scoring numbers while also having a good game off the ball with her assists. Like uh, last game she had five assists. She had, I think, a career high against Villanova. Yeah, she had a – yeah, that was a career high against Villanova with seven assists. So she's clearly moving the ball better. She had eight rebounds against Villanova, the five offensive rebounds yesterday. So she's playing well off the ball, but I still think the critical part of Kristen's game is her scoring ability. And I just remember this overwhelming feeling watching her as a freshman about, wow, she just has a talent level that not a whole lot of people at UConn have had these past few years. She's definitely at a different level for freshmen and nothing she's done since those moments as a freshman have made me think that again. I haven't felt like, yeah, she's from what I've seen, she's going to be a superstar. The potential is still there and has always been there, but I'm still not sure if she's really anywhere close to where her ceiling is and is really playing anywhere close to where I think she should be as a junior. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like in flashes, she's been really good. Like, I think there's sequences in a lot of the games where she's got a couple nice, really good cuts inside and some flashy baskets, and it it looks good for a few minutes, but then it kind of feels like, not that so much that she disappears because she does so many things not on the ball with the assists and the rebounds, but just she's not taking over on offense or being super assertive on offense, and I think UConn's a better team when she's being very assertive on offense, but we haven't seen it a lot. And like you said, I think for kind of her to be at the level that I think both of us really expected her to be at, she needs to be more assertive on office. She should maybe, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this team, so maybe not every night is she going to look like the best player on the floor, but she should at this point have looked like the best player on the floor in at least one game. And I don't feel like we've really seen that yet. I think there's moments where she looks like the best player on the floor, but not a full half for a full game where we've seen that. Right. Because it's, it's just a very much an eye test thing where those first few games with Paige and then the moments since then she makes a play and you're just like, wow, that's incredible. And Kristen's had a few of those moments, but I don't think the freshman should be having more of those than the junior. And I think I said it a couple weeks ago where I feel like Liv's development is going to be a slow burn, a slow build where she just continues slowly progressing, building one block at a time and just a steady improvement. I still really feel like, a, I don't know what the right word is, like a, just a critical, a point of critical mass. There we go. Where she just has one game. Maybe it's against Baylor. Maybe it's just some random Big East game where she just kind of falls apart and she can't make a shot and she finishes with like two or three points, doesn't really do anything rebounding or assist wise. And it's going to be that point where she finally hits, not necessarily rock bottom because I don't think, she'll get that low but she hits a low point and then from that moment on that's when the flitch the switch flips the light goes on and she kind of transforms into this player that we've seen because you do have to remember that she's a junior and there's still development going on and you know if crystal was here another year if megan walker stayed maybe she wouldn't be in as big of a role but it's just the talent level is so clear with her and 
I don't necessarily think it's a work ethic issue. I think she's proven that she is one of the harder workers on the team. I don't know what it is that she needs to figure out to just unlock that next step, the next leap up to reach closer to her full potential. But I think it's going to take a moment where she really falls down in order to do that. And hopefully it comes sooner rather than later, or hopefully I'm wrong and it doesn't actually take that moment and she can just kind of slowly build like Liv is and improve. But just every single game, I'm left with the feeling that Kristen could be doing more even the nights that she's playing well. Yeah, and I think it comes from like what we saw her do freshman year. Like obviously that Notre Dame game just always comes to mind, like the level of intensity that she played with in that game and how she was just able to kind of as a freshman just take over the offense and take control against what was one of if not the best team in the country, you know, five WNBA draft picks on that team. It was a really impressive performance. So you know that that's in there somewhere. So I think just when it doesn't come out on the court, it's frustrating to watch that because you know it's there and it's like, when is, when is it coming? So, I mean, like you said, hopefully sooner than later. I don't know what it takes to get it there, but I feel like that's what's missing. It's like there's this – I feel like in her freshman season we saw this level of intensity from her that we haven't really seen since. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, her level of intensity, because it just seems like continually that she's happy being the second or third fiddle to Paige and Olivia instead of wanting the ball, wanting to be the one that scores, get down. So I thought I came up with this when she scored her thousandth point against DePaul. She's kind of close to the midway point of her career. I guess a little funky with this season probably being shorter. But do you think she gets to the 2,000-point mark? Because theoretically, she's going to be scoring at a higher rate as a junior and a senior than she was as a freshman and sophomore, even if she might not necessarily have a full junior season. So do you think she's going to get 1,000 points between now and the time that she graduates? I mean, I think it's definitely possible. It's probably very close to the halfway mark, really, because you think about the fact that last season was cut early and then this season... I guess it's shorter too. So it's a weird, weird to figure out. But anyway, um, I don't know. I feel like she probably gets there because even if she like doesn't lock in that intensity, I think, um, you know, she's still going to get a lot of minutes and she's still scoring more points than she did in her freshman and sophomore years. Though the thing that jumps out to me is that if she doesn't find that intensity with the amount of backcourt depth on this team next season, does that cut her minutes? Does, you know, is there less time for her on the court, which would make her maybe not get there. I think as long as she finds that intensity and kind of that player that we all know she can be, there's no no way that she doesn't reach that 2,000 point mark. But I think without that, there's going to be a lot of competition for minutes in the backcourt, especially come next season. Right. I was also thinking about that, how I don't necessarily think there's a minutes crunch this year, but there's definitely a lot of players vying for minutes, especially now that Nika Mule's back from her foot injury and, Mir McLean's getting some more minutes, and I still don't think we've really seen a whole lot from Aubrey. There's a lot of players to go around, and assuming that no one transfers or leaves early, you're bringing back this entire roster a year better. I don't want to get too far into it because we're still in the middle of this season, but that's a big freshman class to just kind of throw in the mix and still try and find minutes for everyone, especially if you think like Mir is probably going to be in line for more minutes next year. Who knows how Piaf develops throughout the rest of this year and into next summer. Could she maybe have a spot in the rotation as things go along? It's definitely an interesting 
point to think about. I still think that she gets to the 2000 point mark. So I feel like kind of last year we did the same thing where we never thought Kristen was playing super well, but she still did produce. She had 14.6 points per game last season. And I don't necessarily know that when that year ended, if I didn't have the stat book in front of me, if that's how high I would have guessed. And then this year she has 17 points per game. Like that's a really good number. I think kind of regardless of who you are as a player and it's third on the team just because of how good Paige has been. She's number one with 18.2 points a game. Just to go off a little bit on a tangent, Paige is unbelievable how like you don't really notice her some games and she still finishes with the team lead in points. That happened yesterday against DePaul where I don't necessarily know how often like she was really catching my eye or I felt like she was scoring a lot of points. And then the buzzer sounds, I look at the stat sheet and she has the most points on the team. I That's obviously a very good sign of what she's going to be able to do as she gets more comfortable and if she starts shooting more like Gina wants her to. So I, that's just, that it just kind of blows me away how easy it is for her to score points. Yeah, I was kind of laughing at the like the post-game broadcast yesterday because Gina was like, Paige played like a freshman today. I'm like, she played like a freshman and she had 18 points and six rebounds, <laughs> two assists and four steals. Like, what more do you want? So, I mean, obviously that just speaks to his expectations for her because she is that good. But I think if that's, you know, Paige playing like a freshman, this team is in pretty good shape. Yeah, so just to kind of wrap up this Kristen conversation, she's averaging 17 points per game this season. I think... I would be surprised if that number doesn't increase by the end of the year. I could see her maybe jockeying with Paige for that team lead, maybe being up closer to 18, 19. I don't think she gets to the 20 point mark just because so few UConn players have, and there's just so much scoring to go around. I mean, somehow Anna Makarat and Aubrey Griffin are averaging the same number of points per game this year. And that just doesn't seem right. Cause I don't really remember Aubrey scoring any points at all this year. So I think that's also just kind of a factor of how early it is because really six games is a very, very small sample size. If this was a normal season, that would be just one sixth of the way in. So there's a very long way to go. And I don't know, I'd probably guess the season ends up maybe assuming all goes well, you get the 20 big East games, a handful of, you know, extra non-conference games, three or four, uh, the big East tournament, which is, three games and then an NCAA tournament, which could be like five or six that could easily stretch out to 30 games right there. So that's, we're only a fifth of the way through the season. If you look at it that way. So I think there's still room for her to continue growing. So to get back to the original point, I do think she ends up with over 2000 points just because her scoring totals are going to be so much higher than they were these first two years, even if she's not playing as well as we think she can. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, I wouldn't have guessed the 17 number probably without looking it up. I think that's, I mean, obviously a really impressive number for points per game. So I feel like it really just comes down to maybe it's not that we need to see her score more. It's just we need to see that intensity on the offensive end so that she looks like the best player on the court. But yeah, she's going to reach that 2000 mark without a problem, most likely. Yeah, you know, of course, the obvious caveat of assuming she stays healthy and nothing funky happens this year who knows maybe even next year i don't want to think bad thoughts on that front though so i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To move on, it was I thought it was really good to see Aaliyah back out on the court after she missed the Villanova game. And I honestly thought it was one of her more impressive games of the year. Not in the sense that it was her highest point total or anything, but in a lot of her first few games, so much of her scoring has come from the offensive rebounds that she gets and puts right back up. But she only had one offensive rebound against DePaul, which meant most of her points came from within the flow of the offense. And she kind of showed more of a, you know, dynamic offensive range than she's had in the past where she had a couple nice drives to the basket. She had a few moves to get to the rim. I think she's the type of player that the more she plays and the more she's on the court, the better she's going to be. And it's ridiculous that she's averaging 10.2 points per game, the fourth most on the team. And yet, she has the six most minutes on the team. She's only averaging 16.6 points a game. She's just been unbelievably efficient when she's been on the court. And I have to imagine Gino's going to start giving her more minutes as the season goes on, especially in games that other players struggle. You're not going to have her be a true backup to Nelson Adota. I think the two have shown that they can play together, but I think you want her playing more than just less than half the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, even if it takes down her efficiency a little bit, just what she's able to do with those minutes is so impressive. I think when she comes in, she makes the most of her time on the floor. I mean, she's like 15th in the country right now for field goal percentage. She's incredibly efficient inside. I think we saw exactly like you said last night that, you know, she can do more than just grab the offensive rebound and put it back up. She's got some range of what she can do offensively and then of course against a team like DePaul and you get some minutes with her and Olivia Nelson and Dota together on the floor they they just don't have I mean they didn't have an answer for either of them individually let alone the two of them together and it's going to be hard for really any team to find an answer for the two of them together so I wouldn't be surprised especially as we start to see kind of some tougher opponents that you see one more minutes from Ali Edwards and then more minutes from Edwards and Nelson and Dota together. Yeah, I agree. I love watching those two on the court together just because they're such different players down in the post. They complement each other so well where Liv, I don't think, I mean, she can play strong and she can force her way to the basket, but physicality is obviously not her game. She's a more agile and athletic player that can kind of step out and take shots from three or just inside the three point line. She's long. So she blocks a lot of shots, gets a lot of tough rebounds and, just kind of takes up a lot of space in the paint. Whereas Aaliyah, I said this in an article I wrote earlier, she'd prefer to run through the defender to get to the rim than to actually go around them. And I think that's a really nice combo to have down low because 
you know, you can't just throw necessarily the tallest player on live and then play four other guards. You can't necessarily throw someone super physical on live and like, you know, the UCF style of play where you just try and beat UConn up as much as you can, because you're not going to be able to get away with that with the Leah Edwards down low. If you try and put someone that's either undersized or not as strong as Aaliyah, she's going to make you pay for it. So yeah, I, I think especially against Baylor, those two are going to see a lot of time on the, on the court together, I think. And really just as we move into these more big East games where teams don't have anyone with the height to match up with Nelson Adota, but they absolutely don't have anyone that can withstand Aaliyah Edwards either. So both of those players can just kind of play bully ball down in the paint and it's going to make UConn a really, really, really tough team to beat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't even when you get into some of the top 10 teams in the country, there's just not a lot of teams that are going to be able to find an answer for that inside. I think Baylor is going to be a good test of that. One of the stronger teams inside, but most teams, even like, you know, so a team like Louisville, they just, they don't have a lot of size in the front court. So if you put Olivia Nelson and Dota and Olivia Edwards on the floor together, yeah, Louisville might be a better shooting team than UConn will be, but what are they, Louisville's not going to have an answer for that in the paint. So um, I think, yeah, it's just a combination that is going to give a lot of team nightmares and it's going to be fun to watch as those minutes increase and we get to see more of that. Right. And I also don't think UConn should be overly concerned by teams that are really good at shooting threes because what Nelson and Dodo allows them to do is play very tight on players at the perimeter because they know if they get beat, Nelson and Dodo is going to be there to defend the rim. So it helps them kind of stay further out and not have to give more space to prevent them from driving to the rim. And then also they're a really, really good defensive rebounding team. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but they're one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the country. So if you're shooting up a lot of shots from the three-point line, UConn's going to come away with most of them. You're not going to have a very good offensive rebounding night if that's a big part of your game. So I think UConn really has a pretty ideal roster to contend with those teams that rely heavily on three-pointers, as we just saw against DePaul. Yeah, for sure. And I have those numbers up in front of me. So it's their first in the country right now for def- defensive rebounds per game. And then oh, so yeah, I, I was right. <laughs> teams miss a little bit more shots, but still they're 26 when you do the defensive rebounding rate. So the percentage of the shots that they're, I think it's over 75%. So over three quarters of their opponents misses, they're rebounding. So really strong on the defensive glass so far this season. Of course, that, you know, comes down to the fact that Nelson Adota and Edwards as well when she's on the floor are just so dominant inside against all of these teams. But I think still that's going to carry over to even once they're playing some of the better teams in the country. Yeah, and they've also got pretty good rebounding contributions from their guards. I mean, Paige is the second or tied for the second leading rebounder on the team with Kristen Williams. Avina Westbrook and Anna Makarov both get a pretty good amount of rebounds. You know, then you have Aaliyah Edwards, Aubrey Griffin, and Mir McLean coming off the bench and all three of those players get rebounds like you're running out of them. So I, I know that's been an issue for UConn in the past, especially kind of those initial teams. Well, really the four years since Brianna Stewart graduated that whole era right there, you've never really felt super confident about their rebounding abilities this year. I can't imagine there's many games, if anywhere, UConn gets out rebounded or, at most out-rebounded by a lot. It, m- it might be a close margin, maybe 
single digits, but UConn cleans up on the glass really, really well. So that's that might honestly be the strongest point of this team. Yeah, and I think, I mean, not to look ahead too much to the Baylor game because we can talk about it next week, but I think that was one of the biggest issues in the Baylor game last year is that Baylor just was really able to dominate on the boards and this team didn't really have an answer for that, but I think they've proven so far this year that they do. So I think that's going to be an interesting to watch thing to watch going into that game. So then since we've gotten a pretty good idea of what this team is and going into this next game against Baylor, who has a lot of size and is going to be a good test for UConn's bigs, if you were Gino, would you be switching Aliyah Edwards into the starting lineup for Ana Makara, especially considering how bad Ana's been from three-point range at the start of this year? Even though she has been a solid player on offense, I think she's third on the team with assists. Yeah, she has 24 assists, so she hasn't been a net negative, but she's out there to shoot threes, and those have not fallen for her at all. So would you be putting Aliyah into the starting lineup instead of her? I don't know that I switched the starting lineup yet. I think that Anna still adds a lot to the team even without the threes falling. And obviously you want to give her the opportunity to show me maybe against the Baylor would it be nice. It would definitely be nice if, I mean, that's the game where threes start to fall. But they've got to start falling at some point, I would assume. Um, so I don't know that you switch the starting lineup. But I think the one thing you will see is that I think we're going to start seeing kind of a shift in the minutes there. I think we've still seen Anna get a lot more minutes. Edwards, but I think we start to see kind of a creep up there in Aaliyah's minutes, and with that, probably some decline in Anna's minutes if she can't get those threes to start falling. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I really like Edwards coming off the bench just because of the element that she can bring, and you know, team starts getting a little tired at the end of the first quarter if they don't play a very deep bench, and she can come in and really wear teams down quickly. I made the running back comparison on an earlier podcast. The only thing that holds me up is would maybe Anna benefit from coming off the bench in some sense where, you know, maybe just the change of scenery or the change of pace for some reason helps her out and threes start to fall in that regard. And then maybe if she can just start getting some to fall from coming off the bench, she can get back into the starting lineup to, you know, hit more threes. So I wouldn't necessarily make the change solely because of Anna's shooting and the way Aliyah's been playing, I would more do it to kind of see if you could shake things up for Anna. But yeah, I don't think Anna's played poorly enough to justify getting benched. And I know some people disagree with that and think she should be on the bench, but I think she is a very underrated player for this team and, you know, just isn't getting the due that she deserves because of those three pointers. But yeah, there's just no way she keeps shooting at a, you know, 27% clip. She is such a better shooter than that number indicates. And I just don't know what it's going to be to finally help her, you know, get in that groove. Maybe it's this long stretch of practice that they have coming up where maybe Anna can stop shooting for a little bit and just focus on some other things and get away from it for a few practices and then, you know, pick up the ball and start trying again just to mix things up and try and get everything flowing again. I really have to believe that at some point those shots start to fall. And when they're going to fall, they're going to, you know, come in bunches as we saw last year. So the Baylor game would be a pretty good opportunity for that to happen. But 
yeah, just at some point those have to start going in because I don't think last year is an outlier with her being a 40% three-point shooter. Maybe she's not that good. She should be a lot higher than what she is now. So I think, you know, if she can figure things out, that makes this team a lot better and solves one of their biggest issues. Yeah, I agree with that. Obviously, three-point shooting has been one of their biggest issues, but I think specifically with Anna, with, you know, teams doubling Paige or Olivia, she's most likely the player on the court that's going to be open, and she's getting those open looks, and they're just not falling. So if she can start making teams play or play pay on, you know, those those shots, either they've got to guard her and they can't double someone else, or they're going to, you know, be at risk of those threes, and I think that just adds a different element to UConn's offense that isn't there right now because she's not making teams pay when they leave her wide open. Yeah, and we even saw last year that Anna doesn't necessarily need to be super open in order to be able to hit some threes. I mean, she took some from pretty right. far out last year that looked like it wasn't even very difficult for her and, you know, could create her own shot too. So I think it's really just a matter of her getting that confidence back. And we saw against DePaul, they took 27 threes, which is a season high, but pretty much every single one of them was, if not wide open, pretty, pretty open. I don't know what else as a team they can do to improve their three-point shooting, except for just these individual players doing better, you know, Paige shooting more, which Sheena wants her to. There's no reason Paige should have the fewest three-point attempts of those four starting guards. Maybe she doesn't necessarily need to have the most. I still think Anna should probably be shooting the most just with historically how good of a shooter she is. I don't think the three-point shooting will be this bad, but even if it does improve and improves pretty dramatically, they're never going to come anywhere close to being the number one three-point team in the country like they were last year. Yeah, but I don't think they need to be that, right? I think last yeah. year's team, like, they just had so many other issues that the three-point shooting was able to, you know, kind of mask where I think this team is really strong in a lot of other areas. They don't, I mean, I'd like to see the three-point shooting be better. It'll make them a better team, but I mean, they're, I think going into last night, they were like number one at two-point percentage. I think they're number two now, but um, you know, they're strong on the glass, like we talked about. They've got some real presence inside, so they've got a lot of other things going for them. It's just an extra element that kind of puts them over the edge, and I would have to imagine it's going to come. Like you said, they'll, they're getting the looks that they want. They're just not falling, and at some point, that will hopefully change. I did think, for my looking, they probably took a little too many threes last night just because they haven't been falling, and clearly that wasn't happening last night either, so I would have liked them. To, I mean, they are the number two two-point shooting product team in the country go inside when the threes aren't falling you can do that but um in general I think you know it'll come yeah and then if UConn can get that three-point shooting going it helps Olivia Nelson Adota because then teams are going to be less inclined to double team her in the post knowing that there's going to be a three-point shooter open especially if you have that starting lineup where you know Liv can shoot the three but if she's got the ball down in the post, every single player that she could potentially pass out to can hit a three ball. So if those start falling consistently, I think teams are going to be less likely to drop someone down and throw someone else on her. Whereas how much did DePaul really have to worry after UConn bricked its first few threes of double teaming or triple teaming Nelson Adota and leaving Anna or Avina or Kristen or Page open on the three-point line because UConn wasn't making them pay. So if those threes start to go in and teams are forced to respect it more, then Liv's going to have a lot more one-on-one chances. And for 
95% of the teams in the country if lives in a one-on-one situation, she's probably going to score. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I mean, Paige did hit some last night in that second half, so she was able to make them pay a little bit. But I don't know. I felt like a lot of the threes, they had wide open shots, but they just, they weren't even close last night. It's like a lot of air balls, a lot of just way off the mark, even on open attempts. So hopefully, I mean, I feel like that has to change, right? Like we know that these players are capable. We've seen it, that they're capable of shooting better from three. So it's just a matter of, I guess, when the ball starts to fall. Right. And, you know, last year, the Baylor game, the fourth quarter where UConn just literally could not hit a shot to save the game. That, that's the reason they lost. The game was close up until then. I don't think UConn is going to be as reliant on needing shots to fall when it can go inside to get baskets, even though Baylor does have that size. You know, I, I mean, we're going to preview Baylor next week because there's no games between now and then, but they don't need to be super reliant, as you said, on the three point shot, like they were last year, but you know, they need to just have it be a credible threat instead of just, you know, being happy when one of them goes in like it is right now. Exactly. Cause it just changes how everyone has to guard you, right? Like if, if you can't hit three, some people don't need to guard for the three. You know, it just, it, it changes the defensive scheme and, if you can, could just, you know, get, they don't need to be the best three-point team in the country. They just need to be a decent three-point shooting team to change that. I was also wondering if, you know, could, I wonder if Nico Mule, what she's like as a three-point shooter, because we haven't seen a whole lot of her because, you know, she was injured those first two games, sat out the last three, didn't get a whole lot of minutes last game. And maybe she just isn't going to be in line to get a ton of minutes this year, but she's only taken three three-point attempts. And I, don't think there's been multiple in one game. So I don't know if she's necessarily shown a whole lot. Maybe she could be a player that comes off the bench. And even if she doesn't give you a ton of minutes, can at least, if she can maybe knock down a few threes a game, that's a big boost. So, you know, I think those four starting guards are going to be the crux and the, you know, the, the bulk of UConn's three point shots, but I don't think it's necessarily do or die for them. For, for UConn, if those four aren't hitting it, if you could get some contributions from someone like Nika. Yeah, I can't remember what her three-point stats were like in her league in Croatia. I'd have to go look that up. But, yeah, I think if that's something she could do, it would probably earn her some more minutes too because, like we've talked about, there's there's a lot of depth in this backcourt, so there's there's a challenge to get minutes. But if she could, someone like coming off the bench and add that three-point shot, which this team is clearly lacking at the moment, that would be a good way for her to get minutes. Yeah, for sure. So just kind of moving down the roster, Aubrey Griffin, I think she's, you know, hasn't had a great start to the season. And then last night I was looking and she only had six minutes, especially when you compare it to someone like Mir who had eight minutes. And I thought for the most part, Mir's looked a lot better than Aubrey has this year. I don't think Aubrey's looked like she did even as a freshman much, but apparently SNY said on the broadcast yesterday that Aubrey was dealing with back spasms before the game and was a game time decision to begin with. So I'm wondering if maybe that's been, you know, a lingering issue where her back's been bothering her to some degree, and maybe she hasn't been fully vocal about how much it hurts her to the coaching staff, or, you know, maybe they just haven't mentioned anything and have been trying to limit her minutes. So, you know, maybe the issue with Aubrey is that she's, she has a back injury and you know it's really hard to play the way that she does if your back's bothering you because she's so reliant on her athleticism and it's not like she has a bum ankle or 
you know, a sore shoulder where you can kind of mitigate that. Like your back's pretty much in charge of your entire body. So if that's sore, pretty much every single muscle movement that you have is going to bother it. So I'm, I'm really just speculating, but it does, it's, it would make sense if that has been an issue for her entire year, which is why she's been less than impressive. Yeah, certainly. I think that's kind of an injury that just affects your whole game. I think, I mean, for comparison, it was two years ago, three years ago that Katie Lucianson was dealing with those kind of late in the season. You could just see how it kind of totally changed her game and what she was able to do on the court. So, I mean, we don't know, but very well could be kind of why we haven't really seen what we expected from Aubrey so far this season. Man, those four years after Brianna Stewart graduated were such a twilight zone. <laughs> they all kind of like blurred together. Like, what year was that again? <laughs> like, each one was just so bizarre in its own way. Like, the first year after, they weren't supposed to be as good as they were, and then they went undefeated and kicked the crap out of every single team in their way, and then had that streak, and then, you know, the loss to Mississippi State, and then. The year after, they bring back the exact same roster minus Sanaya Chong, but adding Azare Stevens. And it was pretty much the same thing. They pretty much ran through everyone up until the final four, and they somehow lost that. I still don't know how they didn't win a national championship in either of those seasons. That remains one of the great mysteries in women's college basketball history. <laughs> then the year after, like, they were still a good team that, I mean, they weren't undefeated good, but got to the final four and were very close to getting to the national championship game and couldn't seal the deal. And then I guess kind of it's appropriate that last year was kind of the, the final year of that era, if you'd call it with the season getting ended and this offense just being so weird in the cloud that just was constantly seemingly over the team. Yeah. That's totally unrelated to what we've been talking about, but (laughs) just very, very, very bizarre span of time. Yeah, I mean, like you said, those two, those first two years, they were so good, but just couldn't finish the season with a championship. And then, yeah, the last two years have just been strange. And then, I mean, last year, everything was just strange in March in the world. And so it's kind of perfect end to what was already a very strange season. Yeah, that's for sure. Anyways, to get back on topic, yeah, I think I... I just don't know what other explanation there would be for Aubrey taking this big of a step back as a sophomore, unless maybe, you know, the coaching staff has been trying to get her to do some things that she's not necessarily comfortable with. But you think even if that was the case, she could still, you know, be disruptive on defense, go grab a million rebounds. Like she hasn't rebounded the ball like super well in general. I think there's, seven players are above her and four behind her either haven't played a whole lot or, you know, in the case of Mir got benched for a little while. So yeah, I just, she's probably to me the biggest enigma on this year's team that I can't figure out because I think she should be so much better than what she's playing. So I almost kind of, you know, hope that the bat's been the issue this entire time because if it's not, then that just means that not only is she now injured, but she has to figure out what's going on on top of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's just, like, it was on it. It's, like, easy to point to, like, okay, yeah, her threes aren't falling, but that's, like, you know, an isolated issue where with Aubrey it's kind of just, like, 
there's nothing we've been able to point to that seems to be like, oh, that's what's going on. So maybe it is the back and that's really what the issue is. So I guess we'll probably learn more slowly or she'll just get better and we won't hear about it again, but um, it'd be interesting to keep an eye on that. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously there's a big gap between now and the Baylor game. So she'll have plenty of time to rest up. And then, you know, we could have a game added in there, you know, between now and then, because this is chasing perfection, that means that schedule news is guaranteed to come out either tomorrow or Friday. Like it's not even a joke at this point, how it's just so consistent that every single time we record, we talk about something, put that, put out the podcast schedule news comes out immediately after. So this past week, what was it? It was the TV and broadcast or the broadcast and times of the rest of the year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christmas Eve. <laughs> there had to be news oh, that even was though it was Christmas Eve. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. It's a great time to release any news. So, you know, if there is going to be a game added between, you know, DePaul and Baylor, I would keep an eye out for it, I guess, today, if you're listening when this comes out or Friday. I mean, Gino said that he can't, they've been trying to add a game and can't find anything. Louisville did have a game with Virginia canceled on Sunday. So, you know, maybe that game gets added back on the schedule, but if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this week and it's going to be after we record the podcast. So, you know, just be on the lookout for that. And yeah, I don't think it's ideal to go into Baylor with that big of a gap, you know, as much as it would be good to get some extra practice time in with how compact the first five games of the schedule were and how, you know, not beat up, but, you know, nicked up, like small lingering injuries here and there. You can afford to give certain players time off and let them rest up. They don't need to be practicing every single minute. And, you know, something Gino talks about a lot is when you become a junior and a senior at UConn, you start to understand when you can, you know, take it easy and practice and, you know, maybe not participate in certain things in order to get your body fully healthy. So hopefully they do that over these next weeks, but yeah, just not an ideal way for the schedule to fall. Yeah, for sure. Not to speculate too much about that new game, but if they did add Louisville, I think that would be a great ad for this team. And also I just selfishly really want to watch that Paige Becker's Haley Von Leith matchup. So I'm hopeful that we might get that news tomorrow. Not really because it always is the day after. So. <laughs> well, last time when, Louisville well when like the game first got added for Mohegan Sun that eventually got canceled Louisville was actually the one that announced it first you know let's just while we're live let's just go look at Louisville's schedule maybe we can break some news live on the podcast maybe we don't have Jeff Wall's number we could just call him up yeah I'm like hey you added this game (laughs) I haven't seen him on Twitter today he hasn't been on Twitter looking for a game to replace that so maybe that means he already has something lined up (laughs) Hmm. I mean, they've <laughs> have they have they been shut down, or has it been other teams that have been shut down? Because they've had three um, straight I think games they were canceled. they were shut down, but now they are back up. But now the Virginia one, I think, was so. I think the Florida State and the Miami was because they were shut down, and then this okay. Virginia one is a Virginia issue. Louisville's next game isn't until Tuesday against North Carolina, so there is a slot for that. I imagine Jeff Walls wants to get another game since they've been off since December 9th. But, you know, unfortunately, Louisville hasn't added anything. 
too bad Jeff Walls doesn't follow me on Twitter. Otherwise, we could do some investigation in the DMs. But, you know, maybe in the future. But right now, it doesn't look like there's anything on either team's schedule. So, yeah, even if it's not a, you know, Louisville-type game, a top-10 matchup, I still think some tune-up against, I would say, Morgan Valley's Hartford team. But I don't think that might go against the Geneva Convention. Uh, you know, like another local Connecticut program that UConn's probably going to kill like they did against UMass Lowell, but just getting those extra reps and, you know, that's the type of game where UConn can pretty much roll out on a mocker out on the three point line and tell her, look, just take as many shots as you want until they start falling and basically send every single pass to her. And maybe that's how you get out of the slump. So I think, some sort of game is happening. I have a hard time believing they could, they won't be able to find anything unless, you know, they have certain restrictions or not restrictions, but just guidelines of who they want to play. So maybe either they don't want to leave the region or they don't want to play anyone that isn't in, you know, the upper tier that would at least be a competitive game. Like maybe a Villanova type opponent would be the baseline, but maybe the coaching staff doesn't think that playing, you know, uh, another UMass Lowell type game would be beneficial. So I got to imagine that's why they can't find a game instead of, you know, they're just not being an opponent out there for them. Right. I'm sure there's someone that's willing to come play UConn. <laughs> they're really looking for anyone to play. I'm sure it's that they're being selective about who they want to play and what they want to do if they're going to add an extra game. I guess it makes sense from a perspective of, like, of course, every game you play adds a little bit of extra risk of another team that you're, you know, facing and other more COVID risks. So if you're going to do it, might as well be something that's, you know, worth the risk or whatever. But it interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because, you know, you, you get shut down because one of your Big East teams that you just played test positive for COVID, like, okay, you're playing Big East games. But, you know, if you end up playing, you know, Central in a game that you win by 75, that is probably less productive than playing the men's practice players in a scrimmage, and then you get shut down, that is a tough pill to swallow. So that does make sense of – yeah, they probably wouldn't want one of those lower-level opponents. So it'll, we'll just have to keep an eye out. I, I, I'm not necessarily sure if anything's going to happen, but I almost expect it just because of the way things fall for us. Yeah, exactly. Um, I feel like Louisville having that opening is just like a natural fit. Like it makes sense as a game yeah. to add. Being it was already supposed to be on the schedule as well and got canceled early on, so. We'll see. I don't know. It, it just feels like this game is, like, just destined to happen one way or another. Like, I don't know. That's just the feeling I've had where it's like, UConn and Louisville are definitely going to play each other at some point this season. I just don't know when it's going to be. Like, you know, who knows if UConn has another gap later in the year where two teams are shut down. Or I saw a stat that for men's basketball, like, tracking how many of the pre-scheduled games actually get played on a given day. And I think it was yesterday. So Tuesday was like the second lowest day of the year. So it's likely that UConn's probably going to have some more schedule openings in in the rest of the season, I guess. So I feel like at some point we will probably get played, even if it's not necessarily in this gap. It's just like 
it's just inevitable, I feel like. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. When you hear us next week, you know, for all we know, we might be talking about another game or at worst, we'll be previewing the Baylor game, which will be a week from Thursday. So that's, that's, it's closer than it feels, honestly. No, a week from Thursday. Yeah, a week from Thursday. It feels like it's some huge, like, weeks long gap, and it's really only a handful of days, but, you know, time doesn't really exist in these days so you can follow megan on twitter at megan gower you can follow me on twitter at daniel v Connolly. be sure to subscribe to us on whatever your podcasting app of choice is we just found out that we're also on amazon podcast so you can listen there too also be sure to share the podcast with any uconn friends you know that you think would enjoy it because that really helps grow the show and Make sure to read the UConn blog and store central for all your coverage of the team. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly for updates in your email inbox every Thursday. Megan, got anything to close this up? Yes. Happy New Year, everyone.